1: Well, greeting everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I want to welcome you to a brand new video series that we will entitle it, Something to the Extent Like the Effects of Islam and Christianity on Certain Areas or Topics, or maybe, better yet, and we'll let you be the judge, we can call it The Harms of Islam versus the Benefits of Christianity Concerning These Topics. And we'll let you be the judge when you are going to watch and analyze with us uh, the material that will be presented. Of course, when I say we, I'm referring to my uh, guest, a a new friend uh, that uh, came to our path, was recommended to me by our dear brother, David Wood, and I get to know him. His name is uh, Mike Jones or Michael Jones, uh, who has a a YouTube channel uh, called Inspiring Philosophy. And I'll let him talk a little bit more about that, of course. But uh, he does amazing, amazing research to this effect, meaning uh, the comparison between Islam and Christianity in certain topics. And today's topic is going to be focused on what we call child marriage. And of course, if you would just to Google his name, you are going to come across a recent debate that he did concerning this topic. Of course, I am going to uh, I don't want to steal his thunder. I want uh, uh, you know Mike himself to share a little bit more about himself. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's really a privilege uh, and an honor to have you here. And I know you and I uh, are launching into something new here. And hopefully this will be the beginning of a long, long uh, relationship and a journey between us. So why don't you give our audience just a brief uh, background about yourself, uh, your ministry and your website, and also maybe you'll talk just uh, for a minute or so about that recent debate.
0: Yeah, so my name is Michael Jones. I uh, run, run Inspiring Philosophy. Uh, so I have a master's in philosophy, and I do a lot of videos on Christian apologetics. Uh, namely, my, uh, what I mostly do is uh, present videos uh, defending Christianity and defending the biblical worldview. Uh, but last summer, a uh, Muslim apologist challenged me to a debate on child marriage. So I began researching that a lot. Uh, prior to this, I did a lot of research on the sociological benefits of Christianity. And so I knew a lot of the sociological data already. Uh, and so it was just an easy shift for me to start researching the negative effects we see coming from a lot of things that Islam promotes, like child marriage, polygamy, gender inequality. And I found a lot of interesting research along the way, and it helped me prepare for that debate that I had. And so it went really well, in my view.
1: That's wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. And of course, uh, where can people find that debate? Is it on your website or or, or I should say your uh, YouTube channel, Inspiring Philosophy?
0: Yeah, it's on my YouTube channel, Inspiring Philosophy. Um, It's pretty recent. The debate title was, uh, should child marriage be allowed? Is child marriage permissible? Should child marriage be allowed? Something like that. Yeah
1: yes and i have to say uh and and i'm uh i i mean i use this as an accolade to you david wood was extremely impressed and he immediately uh reached out to me and asked me to uh do uh some work with you and hopefully uh in the near future we'll have you right here sitting next to me in studio lord willing so uh mm-hmm. mike uh, michael tell me uh you know uh let me ask a question so muslims are promoting child marriage right and uh in their mind, this is something that culturally acceptable. In fact, they make even the claim that Mary was a teenager when she was basically betrothed to Joseph, and we're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. But well, why do you think they do this?
0: Well, they're trying to justify Muhammad's marriage to Aisha, so they resort to whataboutism. Well, let's just find other examples in history where this has happened. Therefore, it makes Muhammad's marriage to Aisha when she was six and then consummated in nine okay. Which is utter nonsense. If Muhammad was an axe murderer, you just can't appeal to other axe murderers to think that, you know, his murdering was okay. That's not how that works. When they appear to appeal to Mary's age, it's really just bad research. There are no early reliable texts that say that she was a child bride. Uh, they try to say that she was 12 or 14. There's no evidence and studies done by, uh, researchers like Michael Satlow or Amram Trooper point out that the average age girls in Palestine were marrying at this point was late teens to early twenties. They weren't marrying at 12. So I would actually, actually argue Mary, when she was married to Joseph, she's probably more closer to the age of 18.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, Michael, that's a, you make a good point. I mean, today, even in our culture in the Middle East, I mean, if, if let's say uh, someone who is uh, 10 years or 20 years older than a bride, just just in general, even if she was, let's say, 25 and he was 45, people look at it as an odd proposal, right? You know, imagine now we're talking about a guy who was 51 when he uh, proposed uh, to a child that was six and consummated it when she was nine and he was 54. I mean, just just drawing a comparison. And also, the idea of child marriage in the Middle East today, even today, looks weird and strange. It's not like it happens every day. It's not like it happens all the time. But, you know, Muslims also will claim that this intended to, uh, to reduce uh, the idea of premarital sex. Is there any truth to that?
0: So, they try to claim that we need to have early marriage or child marriage, because we need to really stop premarital sex. And this is one of their big things we see in the liberal secular West, young teens running around and fornicating left and right. We got to stop this. The answer is child marriage. Uh, there's a lot of problems with that kind of reasoning. Uh, for one thing, child, the effects of child marriage are, which we'll get into later are 10 times worse. Uh, we don't solve a problem. With a bigger problem. If you have a kitchen fire, you don't solve the kitchen fire by breaking the dam and flooding the neighborhood. That would just be ridiculous. Uh, There are easier, better ways to solve this, which we could talk about. But what they try to say is that, you know, child marriage, allowing teens to get married at 12 or 13 would stop fornication issues. Well, there was a study done called Religion and Sexual Behaviors, Understanding the Influence of of Islamic Culture and Religious Affiliation for Explaining the Sex Outside of Marriage by Amy Adamczyk and Brittany Hayes. And they looked at various cultures and they noted that Hindu and uh, Muslim cultures have a lot less premarital sex. But they noted that uh, they were trying to figure out why this relationship existed. But one one of the things they noted in Model 2 of their study was that an early marriage did not appear to explain the relationship. So you could have a traditional society that has low premarital sex without early marriage, without child marriage, without trying to get teens to marry young. So this idea that we need uh, early child marriage to Uh, mitigate premarital sex is just not supported by the data. It seems that you could have a society that has low premarital sex without forcing girls into these harmful situations. And the research overwhelmingly supports that when you put a girl into a child marriage, she's uh, more likely to be physically abused, more likely to suffer from psychiatric disorders, emotional distress, and suffer from physical complications and has higher chance of death as well. So there's all these issues that come with it. And so when they say that we need to have child marriage to reduce premarital sex, they're really trying to uh, use a huge problem—child marriage—that's not even going to solve a little problem: rampant premarital sex.
1: Right, and it's uh, the, the argument is in in and of itself, or the claim in and of itself, is a little bit uh, puzzling because if we use Muhammad as an example to defend this claim, what we're saying is it is okay to give. Young children, girls basically, to adult men just for the purpose of preventing the young girls from having premarital sex. It's almost like a form of punishment for them just to protect them from premarital sex. Somehow it's okay for an older uh, person, a person in this case who was married actually uh, before that, and uh, therefore. Uh, somehow that's uh, going to protect the society. And even if we were to say, well, no, no, that's not the intent. We're talking about a young male and a young female. How in the world a young male is going to learn how to take care of his bride and his wife and provide for her and do all sort of uh, uh, marital responsibilities if they themselves are still young, Uh, they're still uh, basically in a uh, a premature uh, stage. Uh, uh, Maybe, yes, they're... Uh, past the age of puberty, but that doesn't mean that makes them mature adults that able to uh, understand the responsibility of having marriage. Do you agree?
0: Yeah, this is what we see in the narrative reviews that I cited in my debate uh, recently. Is that we see these young parents have inadequate ability and in education in raising children. Uh, children under five born to child mothers are actually have a higher risk of death uh, because their mothers just aren't adequately prepared at that point to have children. Or to raise children. They've not mentally matured enough. I mean, the best time for, for women to start having children is going to be 20s, basically. Uh, that's when we see they're, they're mentally ready at that point. But there was also a study done called Premarital Sex and its Associations with Child Marriage Among Ever-Married Women, a study of a national representative survey. And I believe this was done in Bangladesh or India, one of those countries. But one of the things they noted in this paper, which was interesting, is they say that uh, they say that the uh, on page uh, 13, they say the existing challenges are increased further in occurrence of premarital sex as parents in this case consider their social dignity as much more important and marry off their daughter is an ineffective solution rather than ignoring the risk of child marriage because of their unawareness. What they're saying is, is that They're so worried about their daughters committing premarital sex, they marry them off into these harmful situations where they're not ready to be married off. And what's the motivation? They're trying to protect their social dignity. They care more about their status in the public eye than their actual well-being of their daughter. So a lot of the times, girls end up in these child marriages not because it's good for the girl, but because it's about public reputation. you got to marry them off quickly so they don't start having premarital sex. And we see this in a lot of uh, Muslim and and Hindu cultures uh, out in the East. And again, it just puts girls under these harmful situations. But what's the motivation? Social status, not the well-being of girls. Whereas in Christian societies, it's more focused on the well-being of the girls. Uh, We recognize that, yes, premarital sex is bad, but engaging in that is going to be far, it's not going to be nearly as bad uh, as a girl being forced into this harmful situation called child marriage, where she's likely to be abused. Uh, have poor skills in raising her children, suffer from psychiatric disorders. And so it's about trade-offs. And it seems that people in the West just choose the better trade-off.
1: Thank you so much. And uh, by the way, folks, you uh, noticed that Michael has been uh, kind enough to share with you on the screen this research, and we'll make sure that you have access to some of this research as well in the description box of these videos. Well, Michael, I think next time uh, this is an interesting topic. We need to talk about the physical harm of child marriage Mm -hmm. and also mental harm and any other social problems that come with that. So uh, stay tuned, everybody, Uh, until next episode. Until then, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to cirainternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Last uh, time, we had our uh, distinguished guest, uh, Michael Jones, uh, who runs Inspiring Philosophy and who does amazing research, and we started it by talking about child marriage. And he brought up a number of research that he has been uh, doing in regards to uh, child marriage in Islamic context versus uh, what Christianity teaches, and I told him that maybe today, we can begin to focus our discussions more and zoom in on areas like physical harm of child marriage. So Michael, I'd like to welcome you back uh, to uh, this show and uh, it's really exciting to have you brother and thank you so much for the amazing research that you do. Uh, to, to add to uh, what you have shared with us last time, which was bits and pieces of different research, why don't we focus no, more now on the physical harm of child marriage? Uh, what can you tell us about that from a research standpoint?
0: Yeah, well, we need to talk about what, what would qualify as a child. So any anyone, the United Nations says anyone under 18 is defined as a child. Why is that? Well, because girls complete puberty typically between 15 and 17. This is what you you open up any sort of medical literature on this. So uh, a short little paper called Growth of the Birth Canal on Adolescent and Girls, you look on the screen here, you can see growth of the birth canal here on the the first chart here. And you can see basically menarche, that's when they get their first period, around the age of 13. But really the growth of the birth canal is not really complete until girls hit between the ages of 15 and 17. And so you would expect, any reasonable person would expect that anyone expected to have a child before you complete puberty is going to suffer from complications because you're not ready yet. Your birth canal's got fully developed as a woman. Uh, You're not fully uh, ready uh, mentally, which we can talk about later, but physically, you're just still not fully developed there. So what do we see when we open up the literature? Well, United Nations has reported that uh, a girl is five times more likely to die in childbirth when she's under the age of 15. And again, as we noted, uh, this is because the birth canal is not fully developed. The uh, reproductive system is not fully developed. Well, they're, they're getting a lot of this from a research done in the 1980s. Uh, so, what this was a paper: the influence of maternal age and parity on childbearing, with special references to age 15 girls and under. And so, they noted that in Africa, for example, in one of these African nations, that girls under 15 were five times more likely to die than a woman in her 20s. If you go to Table 4.3, you can see. Girls under 15 or at 15 um, have a much higher maternal mortality rate per 1,000 than women that are in their 20s, as you can see, much, much higher. Now, a lot of Muslims get upset with this, and they say, well, it's just such a low sample size. Well, other research has come out recently which supports this. So very recently, uh, in 2005, there was a study called Maternal Prenatal Morbidity and Mortality Associated with Adolescent Pregnancy in Latin America, a cross-sectional study. And they noted in their paper that a uh, girl under 15 is four times more likely to die in pregnancy and uh, childbirth than a woman aged 20 to 24. So it's not one in five. It's a little less at one in four, but it's still rather high. This also uses, as you, uses adjusted ratios, so it's much more reliable. And again, they show that girls, when they're not fully developed – are much, much more likely to die in pregnancy. And if you look at table four, for example, once they hit 16, you can start to see that uh, decline happen rapidly. Why? Because this is the age that girls have basically fully developed, as the medical literature shows. But under 15, 15 and under, they're not. And so you have a much higher death rate, and that's really unfortunate. So we need to recognize that girls under the girls have not that have not completed puberty should not even be considered to have children. And we don't even talk about the mental harm that I mean, girls 16, 17, 18, there's still a lot of mental harm there, but 15 and under a lot of physical problems like physical death, obstructed labor, obstetric fistulas, these kinds of things happen. So 15 out of the question, nine definitely out of the question. You know, those ages are definitely not, not, you no girls should be having be expected to bear children at those ages. But this is what the medical literature tends to point to.
1: Right. And uh, yet the author of the Quran, uh, allegedly a god by the name of Allah, uh, somehow in chapter 65, verse 4, which is known as the chapter of divorce or the uh, they call it sometimes the mini woman chapter because there is chapter four that is called also uh, the woman uh, chapter Uh, in there. Uh, the child marriage is promoted. It's clearly stating about a, uh, a woman uh, who has yet to have its monster uh, uh, basically, uh, hasn't basically, uh, uh, you know, had his her period, I should say, the monthly, uh, and at the same time, uh, Islam somehow had no problem with this, yet uh, a lot of Muslims sadly jump into trying to defend the fact that the language in the Quran does not really promote child marriage, but yet Muhammad set an example for that, as you stated clearly earlier, that somehow just because Muhammad did it, it's okay to do. And whatever Muhammad actually does is used as an example by the admission of the Quran. So uh, is there anything else about the physical harm you want to add, or do you want to jump into the mental harm?
0: No, let's keep talking about the physical harm for this episode, Uh, because there's more. There's a lot more. Yes, please, please, So. So There was a paper, there was a study published called Risk Factors for Obstetric Fistulas, a clinical review. Now, an obstetric fistula is where a hole develops in the birth canal, and it can lead to all sorts of problems, you know, leakage of urine, feces, blood, uh, nerve damage, which can cause the inability to walk, the uh, decreased likelihood of conceiving of a second healthy child, as well as can cause the death of the girl through something like maternal sepsis. Sepsis is where you get uh, basically an infection. Uh, that can develop in the birth canal during uh, childbearing years. and obstetric fistula can really just make that worse. Well, they note, looking at numerous African nations, that the increased obstetric r- risk in teenagers can partially be explained by anatomic immaturity. Teenage pregnancies account for a higher proportion of all pregnancies in developing countries. These findings suggest that efforts to reduce obstetrical fistula should target teenagers. So they note, basically, in this paper that girls— teenagers basically are much higher risk for developing an obstetric fistula, especially in developing countries. Why? Because again, the birth canal has not been developed yet. Uh, and so you can develop these holes. There was a study done in Washington state in the U S and they noted that teenagers are, at, are a higher risk of developing maternal sepsis. Now, if you were in a developed country, just give the girl a bunch of antibiotics. She'll be fine. But if you're a teenager in Mali or Togo, uh, Nigeria, uh, Afghanistan, uh, and you develop an obstetric fistula, you're also at a much higher risk of, of developing maternal sepsis. Combined with those, you're going to increase the girl's likelihood of dying in pregnancy. Because if you got a hole developing in your birth canal, and you're already a, at a higher risk for developing an infection from pregnancy, that's just a recipe for disaster. So we see these type, types of things in the literature where girls are just far more likely to suffer from all these pregnancy complications over women in their 20s. And so, Yes, these, even if they do not die in pregnancy, you know, God willing, we don't want any girl to die in pregnancy, but you're still more likely to develop from complications like developing obstetric fistula, which won't necessarily kill the poor girl, but it could lead to all these other complications. And that needs to be addressed as well. That needs to be noted as well that, hey, if they still live, there's still a likelihood there's going to be a problem.
1: That is true. And, and you know, I, I just want to tell people, uh, myself and my guest here, we're not attacking cultures, We're not attacking race. We're being reasonable here by sharing research from science. And one would expect the God of the Quran should know better, should know better when it comes to things like this, should enlighten actually cultures and society about those kind of areas. Yet, the author of the Quran actually endorses things that research so far have proven to to bring about the damage that results from this. So, just mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that people understand that. So, carry on, brother. Uh, what else do you want to add in the next maybe two minutes or so?
0: Yeah, Noelle Noir in her paper, "Health Consequences of Child Marriage in Africa," noted the problem with child delivering, with the problem with children delivering children is that young mothers are at a significantly higher risk than older women for debilitating illnesses and even death. So, you know, this is just well known across the literature that a, a teenager is good, far more likely to suffer from complications and problems in these developing countries than a woman in her 20s. Obstetric fistulas, illnesses, uh, obstructed labor. Obstructed labor often leads to death. And if your birth canal is not fully developed, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, the one paper I cited earlier um, on uh, the birth canal issue, growth of birth canal in adolescent girls, they note that a lot of these teenage girls often uh deliver children with low birth weight so that's not a good thing but the uh circumference of the cranium is not smaller uh but they still have low birth weight so it's not like they're delivering smaller babies because of smaller size kind of things people think the bone structure is still the same and that's hard for girls to deliver but they still are delivering children with low birth weight which is not good for the newborn newborns themselves So not only do we see problems with the girls in these pregnancies, but also problems with their offspring. They're more likely to be born um, uh, with low birth weight or inefficient nutrients or or even die. You know, there's infant infant mortality rates are higher for child mothers as well in the research. So there's just a lot of problems. And this just shows that we should be waiting for girls to hit the age of at least 18. Why? Because once again, girls complete puberty between the ages of 15 and 17. So it makes sense we assign the age of adulthood after that stage so the following year 18 it just naturally follows some muslims claim it's an arbitrary number we pick that's nonsense it's a it's a well defined number based on the literature
1: yes that's uh, excellent uh, do you think next time we can talk about the mental heart of oh absolutely our wonderful again thank you so much everyone for tuning in uh with me here in studios is our dear brother michael jones who runs uh, Inspiring Philosophy. And we have been covering the topic of child marriage from different uh, scientific research standpoint. Today, we focused our discussion on the physical harm of child marriage. Next time, we will talk about the mental harm of child marriage. And I assure you that many of you who are watching this probably are shaking your head and saying, it's common sense. It's common sense, as I myself I'm saying that without having to look at scripture or anything else, because a child is different than an adult, that's why we're calling it child marriage. Well, Michael, thank you so much again, as always. And uh, uh, I want to encourage people to please go uh, to check his channel, Inspiring Philosophy, and also subscribe to his channel so you can receive uh, his publications through that. Until next episode, everyone, have a blessed day.